plan of God, and that is to create financial streams for the provision of his gospel. I feel like South Africa, I'm not South Africa, yes, but Johannesburg in particular is meant to stand as a light declaring to the nations, this is the way to run your money. This is the way to run your economic systems. It's meant to be a testimony of God's provision, but also God's wisdom in the area of financial matters, in the area of productivity, creativity, in the area of influence in the, with regard to economic systems. And I feel like as we be begin our Frontline series, I'm believing that each and every one of you will get a conviction in your heart that you are called to something great. You will get a conviction in your heart that you are meant to live out that greatness through your coming to church on Sunday, yes, but also through living out those convictions at your workplace, in your families, in every part of your life. Amen. So Lord, we pray that as we share around this series, that you would do something spectacular. Lord God, I pray that you would transform the way we think, Lord God. Father God, I pray that you would encourage us, that you would put might by your spirit in our inner men, Lord God. That this would be more than just hearing information. This would be an impartation of life today, Lord God. That people would be transformed by what they hear. We would be transformed by what we hear, Lord God. That as we go into our workplaces, we would carry an anointing to transform those arenas, Lord God. So that the knowledge of Jesus Christ would be spread through our words, through our actions, through our interactions, through the excellence of what we do. Thank you, Lord. And all of God's people said amen and amen. amen. So imagine for a moment that Pastor Mike were, had worked for a bank before he worked for us. I know that's like a little bit like a stretch of the imagination. Can you imagine Mike in a bank? That's going to be a very interesting thing. It would be certainly a fun bank. That's what I know. But nonetheless, Mike at this bank, he comes to work one day on time, ready to give his best. And his co-worker rocks up and she says to him, you know what? I, I bet you I can get my boss, our boss, to give me the day off today. So Mike's a little bit incredulous. He's like, really? How are you going to do that? Just you wait and see. The boss walks in. Well, and there, she, there the boss walks in and he, he looks around and there he finds Mike's co-worker hanging from the ceiling by her feet. And he looks at her and said, what on earth are you doing? She, in a very particular voice, says to her boss, I am a light bulb. Her boss rolls his eyes and says, oh my word, you'd better take the day off. Immediately, Mike follows her out the door. And the boss says, where are you going? And Mike says, it's impossible to work without light. <laughs> don't try that on Monday or Tuesday. I don't know if it'll work. But... Um, I guess if I want a spiritual application for that joke, it is this, don't work without light. I don't know if you can really get that out of that joke, but nonetheless, that is a true thing. <laughs> there was a time in Israel's history where they were living as slaves in another nation. You remember the story. 
and the great incredible victory God did for them when he brought them out of bondage in Egypt to their promised land. And they had that spectacular thing where the sea parted before them as they walked out of Egypt. And then when they were in the wilderness, God kept them in the wilderness for 40 years to teach them how to be self-standing, God-loving people. Remember, they had lived for 400 years as slaves, and he took 40 years to remove slavery from their hearts, to teach them how to stand as people who were creative, innovative, were able to lead, make decisions, um, take the land. And in those 40 years, one of the things he did is that he gave a picture to their leader, Moses. And this picture was of what they came to call Moses' tabernacle. It was a giant tent, and maybe a tent is too small of a word for it, because I'll tell you in a moment how it what it was made of, but it was this tent that was portable that they moved from place to place. Now, here's the thing that's going to blow your mind. The ingenuity and the engineering and the absolute precision and beauty of that tent was mind-blowing. If that was reproduced today, it would cost over 80 million rand. It used over one ton of gold, two tons of copper, three tons of silver. Now, I want to ask you for one moment, why do you think the Egyptians chased the Israelites when they left Egypt? Because they were carrying at least a ton of gold, at least two tons of copper, and at least three tons of silver. They didn't leave Egypt empty-handed. They had stuff. And as we walk into our lives, and as God is, is taking us from being slaves of the system to being innovators, creators, leaders, I want to tell you something. You have stuff more than you know. You are carrying riches that you cannot even imagine. And God is coming to give you a blueprint of how to put those resources together into a way that you will create a dwelling place for God in your workplace, in your families, on this earth. This tabernacle was so intricate, so beautiful. They wove special linen. They had particular colors. They, they used um, badger skins and all kinds of other things that I don't even know what they are. But, but, and then they molded the different implements that were used with great precision and love. It was magnificent. And here's the wild thing is that it went with them wherever they went. They, could, they had set up such a system that they could set it up like in a day. They could break it down, set it up, move it in a day. I mean, a ton of gold, just imagine that. The one section was just, I just, it blows my mind. When, when you walked into it, it was acacia wood lined with gold. It was, the tent had one section that was, completely encased like a box, almost in wood, overlaid with gold. So I want you to picture this. You would walk into that, that area. There would have been a candle shining, candle completely made of gold, burning, and all the walls were solid gold. Imagine what that was like walking into there, that light reflecting off the gold. I mean, it must have been mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing. There's a passage of scripture in Exodus where God is speaking to Moses and he's speaking about this tabernacle that they are going to build. 
And he says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge of all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan to help him. Also, I have given skill to all the craftsmen to make everything I have commanded you. The first time in the Bible ever that anyone is spoken of being filled with the Spirit is at this moment. And what were they filled with the Spirit to do? They were filled with the Spirit to be craftsmen, to spend time hearing God's master plan and creating that on earth through the work that they did with their hands. There are three aspects I want to highlight from this passage of scripture. First of all, that each and every one of us, you have been called. Next, you have been equipped. And last of all, your excellence brings heaven on earth. You have been called to restore the earth to reflect his glory. Jesus, a number of times, used this phrase. He said this, many are called, but few are chosen. For a moment, I want to imagine you to imagine that you are a trumpet player. And if you are, please come forward because we need you for our band. But just for a moment, imagine it. And one day you get a call from your agent and this, the agent says, they are recruiting trumpeters for this incredible movie score that Hollywood wants to make. And so I'm asking for you to come to an audition. I've asked 10 trumpet players in Johannesburg to head over there. Only three are going to make it. You've all been called. As you set out for that, or all ten of them set out for that audition, one of them hears a friend calling, Hey, come and have a drink with me in the bar. Don't be in such a rush. Puts his trumpet under his arm, heads into the bar. They have drinks. They hours go by. Misses the audition. The next one gets a phone call from his mom-in-law. My geezer's burst. You've got to come help. Head's over there. Geezer takes longer. Misses the audition. And so it goes on. All of them getting distracted by different things. Some of them good things. Some of them bad things. And lo and behold, when they get to the audition, you find it's only you and one other. You play your best. But here's the glorious thing. You're going to be chosen. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Not because you're the best, because you didn't get distracted. 
Because you kept in mind what the goal was. You kept in mind what you were called to and you stuck to that and you kept working it and you kept going and you rocked up. In Genesis, we read this. In the book of Genesis, God speaking to Adam, he says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. I have a relative who shall remain nameless who cannot stand his work so much that he has called it the salt mines. And what he means by that is he feels like he is like convict labor at an open cast salt mine, and that when he arrives there, all he does is do hard labor in the sun for someone else and then go home. He, he works as a lawyer, so it's nothing like the salt mines. You know, it's in a cushy office somewhere getting a really nice salary. But one day I was at his house and I said to one of his sons, where is your dad? He said, oh, he's at the salt mines. <laughs> so it's become a family saying. But I think it represents an idea we have of work. That it's something we do just because we have to. It's something we go to that we don't want to do. We just, we just give our time. There's no sense of, I own this. It's just like I'm working for someone else, put in my hours, do my job, tick the boxes, and go home to real life. You spend the majority of your day at work. If that's your attitude to work, the majority of your life is slipping away. And I want to invite you to think differently. Because that's not the concept of work that God has. Right in the beginning, he said he put man in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Here's the wild thing. That word work, which is the most common word for work in the Old Testament, can be translated worship. What was he doing? He was saying, Adam, I'm giving you this glorious environment where everything works, where our glory is shown, where things are spectacular and beautiful and fantastic, and I'm putting you in this garden, and I'm asking you to worship me by keeping it like this, by maintaining the, the sense of the presence of my glory, of the witness of who I am through this environment. It goes on, and he says, and he asks him to take care of it. Literally, to take care of it means to keep it in the way that it was given to you. And it means to limit access. It means to keep out the things that would destroy or steal from that environment and make it less. Adam had one job, and that was to keep the devil out. One job. We live with sickness, disease, failure, calamity, all the terrible things, because Adam didn't do his one job. So if you all, can we all be angry at Adam for a moment? Can we all just make him the scapegoat for all our problems? But from the beginning, work was meant to be an act of worship, a partnership with God where we, we saw his design and we worked towards now bringing that back on earth. There he was to keep it because it was all there. We've lost it to some degree. And now our job is, our work job is to worship God by, rest by restoring the vision and the example of his glory in our workplace. 
and to keep the devil out. Oh, I wanted to mention Genesis 3 to you is that they didn't keep the devil out and things went bad. God came to Adam after he had put him out the garden for his own safety and he said to him, from now on, the earth will bear thorns and thistles. I don't even know what a thistle is, but apparently it's a really bad thing that you don't want growing. And it says, with great toil, you will eat of its fruit. He uses a different word from work. He suddenly uses this word toil, which literally means to work with great pain. It can be translated pain. It's the salt mines. And in essence, what we see is we see there was a time when Adam, in union with God, was was, was co-creating with him and um, making this beautiful world, maintaining this beautiful world, and work was worship. When he was separated from God, suddenly the same thing, tending the earth and producing food, no longer was worship, it became pain and toil. And I guess the lesson for us is this, is that if your work is pain and toil, that there's this likelihood that in some way you have lost sight of the vision of what God wants to do. In some way you have separated yourself from his glory and the representation of his love and his life here on earth. And there's an invitation going out to each and every one of you to step out of that place of pain and toil and step into his presence again. Be united with him. Hear his heart for your workplace. Hear his heart for the people around you and begin to worship him through your work. Our work becomes worship when we labor to cause our environment to f reflect God's glory, and we limit access to whatever will harm that reflection. It's not what you do that makes your work secular or sacred. It's why you do it. There's no promise that God is going to change your workplace, but here is the promise he'll change you. If we stay on the theme of music, how many of you have heard Handel's Messiah? Do you know, it's, it's a 259-page document. Massive! Do you know he wrote it in 24 days? He wrote it so fast that if you read the original there, there are like ink splots and crossings out and all kinds of things because he was just screaming through it. At the end of the document, he wrote this. SDG, which stands for Solo, Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone the glory. The story goes that when he was given this commission, the presence of God came upon him and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was such that he was simply, he was just trying to keep up with the revelation from God for that music. Makes you just want to go and listen to it, doesn't it? But in essence, he had caught sight of this, that his work wasn't toil and difficulty. He was partnering with God to hear the blueprint of heaven and to release the glory of God through his work into the earth. And the result was that glorious piece of music.
you have been equipped by the unlimited access we have to his presence. I mentioned earlier that this portion of scripture was the first time that someone was filled with the spirit to do anything. What's interesting is in the Bible is when, the, when a concept is introduced for the first time, when you're interpreting the Bible, that first mention becomes the most important and defining aspect of that principle. So in other words, the first time something is used defines all the other times it is used. And if we look and say, well, at this time, the first time the concept of being filled with the Spirit is ever used was to create Spirit-filled work and an outcome where the glory of God would be shown on the earth. Then when we read the book of Acts where the Spirit of God was poured out and they began to speak in other tongues and we see these incredible miracles that happened as a result of that, we have to at the foundation of this say that the witness of being filled with the Spirit must start in our everyday life, in our work, in what we put our hands to on a day-by-day basis. That this witness that we are meant to be of the glory of God as the Spirit fills us is not just meant for church services and crusades and when you are out on the streets sharing your faith. You know all the times you do that. For those of you who are new here, that was a joke. But only half a joke. Only half a joke. I feel like God, the Spirit of God, calling each and every one of you and saying, I value every minute that you live. And I am going to put, I am and I have put my presence inside of you such that every minute that you live means something. I don't want a minute to go by that you are just ticking a box, filling an an agenda. I want every minute to be you and me partnered to reveal my heart to the world, to reveal my nature to the world. There's a scripture in Colossians that says this, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I love that. I love that. I know I've shared this story often, but it still thrills me every day that I think about it. I don't think about it every day, but every day that I think about it, it thrills me. My father-in-law, foreman on the mine, no education, just determined that his life would count and the, the glory and the majesty of who Jesus is would be evident in his life. Would go home every day distressed and distraught by the casualties and the pain that he saw on the mines and he would pray and say, God, help me to make it better. And God would give him solutions and safety standards and new systems of operating and the places that he worked in just became more and more efficient, much more efficient than the other areas and the excellence of what he did came to the notice of the people who ran the mines and he got promoted after and promoted and promoted until eventually he was given an honorary degree in metallurgy, mining, engineering, or something like that, but something really good <laughs> that you need for mines. <laughs> 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 and 
And when he retired, he was a consulting metallurgist for one of the largest mining houses. Called on all over the world to design mines that would be safe for the workers. Isaiah linking onto this, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are hidden in Christ that my father-in-law was tapping into. Isaiah says this, the fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. And what is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is this, that inside God is everything good. Outside of God, there is nothing good. And therefore, I do everything I can to stay in God, hear his voice, listen to his ways, follow him. And in so doing, everything will work out beautifully, fit into place, bring prosperity, bring life. The degree to which I am outside of him is the degree to which there is pain, calamity, and heartache. And therefore, the fear of the Lord drives me into his presence continuously. That I might partake of those treasures of wisdom and knowledge that I might follow him, that alone I am not enough. United with him, we are everything together. Paul Manwaring, a man I really respect, made this statement a while back. He was preaching. I heard him say it. It just came to him at that moment. I think it was the first time he said it. It was in that particular preach. But he says this, God wastes nothing and gets you ready. I was listening to a speech given by Barack Obama before he was president. He was only a senator at that stage, and I think he was speaking to university students, and he shared this profound thing. He shared how he had been not a very good student, and how he had kind of just been living his life for his own gratification. And at university, two young members of the ANC arrived at his university and began to talk about the struggle against apartheid and began to talk about what they were going through in South Africa. And as he sat there listening, he saw their passion and he saw the conviction in their hearts. And he noticed the struggle that they were going through and something inside of him rose up and said, I must be a part of this. And so as a result, he began organizing his university to divest from South Africa to order to put pressure on the apartheid government to change. He shares this, which I find quite amusing. He says he doesn't think that he was particularly successful, but he was certainly passionate. And he said from that moment he realized that there were more important things than, he didn't say this, but I'm paraphrasing him very highly, so please don't mention this to him ever when you next meet him. But basically he was saying this concept that, that he suddenly realized that there was more to life than parties. There was more to life than his own personal enjoyment. That there was a mission. There was a mission. But the thing that blew me away is that I don't know if those two young ANC members, he doesn't give them a name, no one knows who they are. They were probably just university students themselves on this big trip to America, doing their best to share what they knew. Probably not very skilled, probably not very experienced. And here is the glorious thing that God wastes nothing. Those speeches that they gave, I don't know how eloquent they were or how spectacular they were, but literally they launched a president of the United States into his calling. 
And so here was what I want to say to you is God wastes nothing. I mean, you might be sitting at work and doing stuff that you can see no relevance to. You wonder how this is going to change the world. You wonder what the good or use of this is. Here I want to say, do it with all your heart and do it with the conviction that God will use even this. Because I promise you, God wastes nothing. You partner your heart in faith with him and he will use it to do something magnificent. And he gets you ready. Waking up at four in the morning, day after day, I remember this. Just, I had to be up at four in the morning to get up before my children so that I could at least have 10 minutes before life started. All your mothers said, amen. Washing nappies, making food again, washing dishes, sweeping floors, making beds that I had made the day before, wiping faces that I'd wiped five times in the last hour, picking up crying children, stopping fights, um, getting mad, repenting day after day after day after day could feel the depression creeping into my heart. I wake up one day at four in the morning and I'm, God, I don't even want to get out of bed anymore. And as clear as anything, I hear him say this to me. I will teach you to lead churches as you lead your family. God wastes nothing and he gets you ready. Excellence brings heaven on earth. Are you ready for one more point? Can we do this? Yeah. <laughs> Michelangelo. I don't know if that's his first name or his surname, but anyway, Michelangelo. In the Middle Ages in Europe, a devout man, by the end of his life, loved Jesus more than he loved him at the beginning spent his whole life desiring to bring the presence of God on earth through art. You've seen that very famous painting with God pointing his finger and then Adam's finger touching him, the creation of man. I don't know, you know, he was a really good artist, I just don't know why everyone was naked. But nonetheless, <laughs> that spectacular um, ceiling of the Sistine Chapel in Rome that people come from all over the world just to gaze in awe was painted by Michelangelo on his back day after day. I think it took him years. I'm not sure how long. <laughs> Mike is saying he's got a really good name. Only the first part, Mike. <laughs> but that what you see on the screen is the face of his very, very famous sculpture, the sculpture of David. David looks awfully Greek, but nonetheless magnificently Greek. You would agree with me. But he made the statement, he said, every beauty which is seen here by persons of perception resembles more than anything else that celestial source from which we all come. Very flowery language for saying, Everything beautiful that you are able to see here on earth that I have made has come because I first saw it in the heavens. I first saw it in my relationship with God. And I took that and I brought it to life through my art. That all my art is meant to be a witness of the glory of God and who he is. 
when we look at that tabernacle that was created in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews makes the statement that the priests who serve in that tabernacle that we've talked, talked about serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when we, he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Again, a little bit complicated, but in essence what he's saying He's saying it was very important that Moses did it exactly as he was instructed. Why? Because he wasn't just building something new. He was downloading a pattern that God was giving him from heaven. That all this work that Aholiab and Bezalel were doing was not just ticking boxes. It was recreating heaven on earth. It was recreating heaven on earth. Martin Luther King, the leader in the black civil rights movement in the U.S. some years back said this, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. And Paul is saying it in a different way. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Is that everything we do is meant to represent the God we serve and reveal him to the men around us. That our excellence brings heaven on earth, recreates environments in the image of the way God originally meant them to be. And in so doing, we create an environment where his presence is known, where people hear him, where people are able to connect with their God-given calls. And there's this multiplying effect of glory upon glory upon glory. And it starts when you get to work and you choose to do it for his glory with your whole heart, bringing his presence into everything you do. Amen. In conclusion, you have been called to restore the earth to reflect his glory. You have been equipped by the unlimited access you have to his presence. Your excellence brings heaven on earth and makes God tangible to, to many. Amen. Can we pray? We can give the Lord a hand because I think he's good. Lord, I want to ask that you would change the way we think about the work we do. Lord God, I ask that for each person here, they would get a revelation of the power in their hands when they step into that workplace tomorrow morning. Lord God, I ask that you would transform their thinking. Lord God, even if they are simply filling out forms or taking in messages from people or they are sweeping a floor, I ask that you would give them ways of doing it so that environment is transformed, that people love each other more, that people see you more, that people understand your ways more. I pray you'd give them opportunities to pray for people, to share the reason why they do it with their whole hearts. Lord God, I pray you would give them a voice in those environments that speaks of Jesus. Lord God, I ask for each person here discouraged by their work, that you would speak into their hearts right now. 
that their lives matter, every minute matters, that you are unwilling to waste one second, and that you are partnering with them to bring great glory there as they change nappies, stamp papers, smile unendingly at clients. Whatever it is, Lord God, I just ask that the vision of what you can do for them would be, through them would become real. Lord God, I ask that each and every one of them would find themselves effective. Lord God, I pray you'd give them victory after victory, people's lives transformed, systems changed, things done in a new way, atmospheres different, atmospheres different. Thank you, Father. Put a faith in their heart for something new. Thank you, Lord. What I'm going to ask is that I feel like I feel like I, I want us to stand and make a commitment to bring His glory into our workplace, into our workplaces. So if you would like to do that, can you stand with me and let's pray. I'm going to have you repeat something after me. Can you just say this, Lord Jesus, I recommit myself to your glory on earth. Lord, I ask that you would strengthen me to work with excellence and to bring your glory. Lord, I ask for open doors to reveal you. Lord, I ask that you would increase my skill. And Lord, I ask that you would increase my influence. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I ask that you would fill me with your spirit for this task too. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand?